Here's another writer, in their own words. Andrea Stewart was born in Barbados. In 1976, when she was a teenager, her family moved to England. She says her new home wasn't especially welcoming to newcomers from the Caribbean, even well-educated, affluent ones like the Stewarts. Although, in a sense, the Stewarts weren't newcomers at all. Three and a half centuries earlier, some of her ancestors had gone from England to settle in Barbados. Over time, those British ancestors mixed with Stewarts' other forebears, Africans who were taken to Barbados to work as slaves in the island's lucrative sugar trade. Stewart writes about her family history in the current issue of Granta magazine. She begins with the story of her earliest known ancestor, George Ashby, who went to Barbados in the 1630s. I knew nothing about him. I didn't know he even existed. And I had no idea that I would be able to trace my family back that far. I first managed to get back to the 18th century. And then through luck and effort, we managed to go back to the 17th century. So there he was, this Englishman who moved along with, you know, millions of other Englishmen to the New World, and all at the same time, which is interesting, because I think the American story of the American settlers has been much talked about in America and very much explored, while the British have kind of forgotten that settlers didn't just go to mainland America. Mm. They went all the way up through South America, through the Caribbean and up to Canada. And so, you know, there's a wide stretch of people who have this story that I have um, of an Englishman or another European going over to make the new world and creating their families that are disparate racially, socially and so on. Did you know in Barbados that you came from a mixed background, white and black? Yes, I did know Mm. that. I would say that that is probably the common denominator for many people. What's interesting in your case, Andrea, is that you're the offspring of slave owners as well as those who were enslaved. I mean, I guess that's more common than we realize. But has it been a tough one for you to reconcile? I mean, you found out about this recently since doing this research. Yes, it's been very interesting realizing that you have on the same plantation both my slave owner ancestor and the slave from whom I'm evolved. It was extraordinary sensation to feel that my planter forefather owned my other planter forefather and that they lived together through entire parts of their lives. So it's extraordinary kind of conundrum. Right. I don't know that I've really fully come to terms with that. How do you come to terms with the fact that your your forefather owned your forefather? You know what I mean? It's a very strange sensation because I have to be able to relate to both groups and understand how this extraordinary dark scenario played out. What a situation. <laughs> yeah, it, it is interesting. Now, the main reason slaves were brought to Barbados was to work the sugar plantations. Today, how prevalent is sugar in people's lives in Barbados? Has it defined the fortunes, both great and non-existent, of Barbadians and even class? Well, I think traditionally sugar was the crop that made Barbados work as a colony because at the point where the colonists discovered sugar, they realized that they finally found a crop that was lucrative. Before that, there was thought of abandoning it as a kind of failed experiment. And so sugar saved the island. Today, of course, sugar has been eclipsed by tourism and cane sugar has been eclipsed by the production of sugar beet in Europe. Mm. So it's no longer the white gold as it was described in the past. 
But I think when you go there, you realise how much sugar kind of haunts the island. And for the majority of inhabitants of the island who were slaves, I would say that they probably suffered a great deal for sugar. Mm. It was a bitter pill in many ways, rather than a sweet one. So with that personal baggage, the descendant of both slave owners and of slaves coming from an island that furnished this sugar, which enriched so many British businessmen, your family moves to England in 1976. Many Brits, you write, considered you a foreigner. Did you find yourself getting defensive ever, having to tell people that, in fact, your British roots went back hundreds of years? Well, I think at the time, I kind of bought the story that was prevalent in Britain, which was that the Afro-Caribbean, African colonial people in the country were sort of newcomers mm. and that we were sort of there on sufferance and it was a sort of kind of act of kindness on behalf of the British government. So there was that sense of feeling not quite worthy and not quite belonging. I think the wonderful thing about having written the book and explored this whole complex web of sugar, slavery and settlement I feel much more certain about my place in Britain because I can actually trace my English ancestors back much further than many Caucasian people can. And also because I realise how profoundly my slave answers suffered and worked in order to enrich the country that I now live in. So it's given me a much stronger, more solid base to live in this country and to negotiate it. How is the history of slavery in the British Empire dealt with generally in England today? It's interesting. I think that in Britain there is still a degree of denial or unwillingness to really confront the backstory of British slavery and so on. So there's a sense of it being something that happened sometime a long time ago in some faraway place rather than realising that the British colonies were at that point... Britain, that they were British territories, and the connection between the colonies and Britain is incredibly intimate. Mm. Not something that happened far away and a long time ago, but something that happened in Britain, in the world of British life, and something that still has repercussions today. And I think that's the thing that, as a culture, Britain hasn't quite come to terms with. Andrew, you write that in Britain, your color enters the room before you do. Um, but you also point out that it's not just color, it's shade as well, shade of color that, yes. some, that, that people in Britain, as well as Barbados, pay attention to. Talk about that and how, for you, that's affected your life. Well, I think in the context of Britain, the shade issue is probably less of interest because in Britain, one is either black or white and there's very little sense of understanding about shades and so on. That is more of an interest or discussion in the context of the Caribbean where people like me who are slightly lighter skinned, are they're clearly linked to a white ancestor and that therefore connects me to a a past, rather tragically, in fact, that is considered more privileged because what happened during slavery was that mixed-race people had certain privileges associated with their white forebears. And a lot of that lingers in the Caribbean, so that sort of thing matters there. And I think in Britain what happens is a different feeling, which is that there is an assumption in Britain about what all black people's backstory is vis-a-vis class and social privilege and so on. And they assume a backstory for me that has very little to do with my my real experience. Finally, as to Barbados, you say you visit home every year or so, but you put the word home in quote marks. What does Barbados mean to you now? 
I think my relationship to Barbados and the Caribbean generally is a sort of um, a curious love affair. I have a very sensual and very passionate attachment to the Caribbean, particularly Barbados, where wherever we've lived, we've always returned to this place where I have relatives and so on. It's hard to think of it as home entirely because I haven't lived there for a very long time and I am to a very large degree anglicised and I get teased by my cousins about my accent and, Mm. you know, the things that I say and do. So I know I'm aware of myself as a foreigner there, but um, it is also simultaneously the place that I feel most happy and at peace. So I suppose it's the closest that I come to as the place to call home. I just know that I am a sort of, like so many people, displaced. Andrea Stewart's article, Sugar in the Blood, is in the current issue of Granta magazine. It's an excerpt from her forthcoming book, which will be out in January. She joined us from London. Andrea, thank you so much. Thank you, Marco. That was lovely.